0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Digital Artcast. Um, this one dropping hot again, uh, making sure that I'm getting plenty of episodes out in this short time when people are spending uh, most of their time in home or working from home. Uh, wherever you guys are, I hope you're staying safe and making sure that you're, you know, making the best of this time. I know it can be troubling. Um, it's a very strange time for everybody, uh, including you know what's going on in America just now. Um, so again, yeah, I hope you guys are safe and uh, looking after yourself. And I'm glad that you came back to listen to another episode. Um, these podcasts now have been going on for um, just about four years. I think we're nearly on our four-year anniversary mark, which is really great. Um, hitting up 2,500 subscribers at this point and many, many listeners all over the globe. And uh, again, there's a small hit list that I've always had uh, next to my, my computer, looking at people that I really want on the podcast, I really want to talk to, um you know we've had some great guests on here like scott robertson uh corey office a couple of other people that you know we've, we've wanted to get on and, and uh, we've had on but uh today we've got another one of those um what i would call triple big hitters or people that i've, I've kind of looked up to in the the concept art world and entertainment art world for a while um so please today um help me in welcoming uh, our guest on the show that is mr Shadi safari hey, hey. Shady, how's,
1: it... how's it going
0: yeah good man good um, I hope I gave you the the intro that was worthy of your title. Yes. So,
1: <laughs> well, you know, to me, I'm just a person. So, yeah, of course, yeah, right.
0: the, the, the brag's are already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was uh, friends
1: with uh, you know the game director of uh, of Last of Us Two, Neil Druckmann. I we start we were working together, in Naughty Dog, and back when we were working together, he was he was just a person too.
0: Right. Yeah. Of course. And now he's like superstar supreme. So. Yeah, I, I can't go down the street without getting mobbed and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, it was actually you know really surprising. We just quick off on a side note was just watching his social media over the last uh, couple of weeks take an absolute horrible turn when uh, he was reposting a couple of different tweets and stuff. And uh it, it was kind of and then obviously you know with the Last of Us, a lot of people know about the, you know the whole leak thing. So it's been a it's been a weird situation probably for him and his side as well with you know being so famous or having such a uh Uh, an accolade next to his name because now you know he's more in the spotlight than ever but I think for a lot of creatives you kind of want to recoil most of the time in the world you just want to have your own safe space but I feel with social media that sometimes that veil is dropped and that you're exposed even more now
1: yeah it's tough it's it I I know it's been tough for him I talked to him about Mm -hmm. it and uh and also when you uh you know put your heart and soul into something even when you put your heart and soul into a piece of art that took you four days Imagine! Imagine you spent four days on something, and you sent it to one person uh, yeah. that you trusted and respected, and that person said, uh, "I hate you." <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not just I
1: don't like this. I also hate you personally.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. how much I
1: hate this. I also hate yeah. you. Um, it's
0: good to be trying. So, yeah, yeah.
1: So I, I, uh, I also think uh, I, I was, uh, I was jokingly, I was joking around with him, jokingly saying that uh, when that first happened that that he got Benioffed, but he's gonna <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. going to recover. I just put this out there right now. Uh, I loved the last season of Game of Thrones. I just want everyone to take everything I say after this into yeah. consideration, you know, like temper, because right. every opinion I have could be wrong because I enjoyed season eight of Game of Thrones. I obviously, I, I agree with people's critiques, some of them, and uh-huh. I wish they had done those things, but I did not enjoy the show. And I think that actually is a is a thing I try to hold on to is like when you experience a thing, you have an emotional reaction. Right. And just because someone else says "I didn't like it," sometimes you adjust your experience retroactively to coincide with what popular opinion is, because you don't want to be an outcast and you don't want to feel stupid. So a lot of times people might say, "Well, You know, I actually really like Transformers and they they do it in that whispery tone to feel guilty. They don't want anyone to know. Or like, I thought Pacific Rim was fun. Like it was, you know, that movie was really tongue in cheek and kind of over the top. I think Avatar was one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I agree with you. Some of the bad guys were a little bit one sided. But like, you know, there's things like that where I think you have to kind of go with your first experience that you personally had and then stick to it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it was a little bit of a of a struggle, but I, I also was joking with him saying um, that when the reviews came out, um, you know, he would rise like a phoenix from the ashes. And <laughs> thankfully, that's what happened. So not that yeah. reviews are everything. Um, you know, obviously not. a lot of things get fantastic reviews. I sometimes, to make myself feel better, read the, like the two bad reviews of Shawshank Redemption. You can, <laughs> you can go on Rotten Tomatoes and read like a scathing review of shocking <laughs> redemption and you're like yeah okay you know yeah, and did, it got good reviews at the time but there's some people that thought um they didn't like it um and, and and i found the best way to insult any medium is to just say what happened but with a sarcastic voice you could be like oh so uh one guy's in prison but he's oh he's falsely accused and then he escapes you know if you just say it in that voice then it just sounds dumb but it's yeah. real easy to crap on people trying to do, trying to make art, trying—they're just their hardest to make great things. So I have very, very little respect, um, relatively, for people whose profession it is to shit on other people's art who don't do it professionally. You know, yes. if you uh, if you want to amongst your friends talk about the ins and outs and the particulars of what you didn't like about something that is really triple A because you're trying to grow yourself and grow the medium. But someone whose job it is to just talk about what they like and didn't like, reminds me of Ratatouille, you know, when Ego uh, was saying that um, even the average piece of junk is probably worth more than the review designated, designating itself. And right. I thought that was a really profound part of that movie because, yeah, I, I completely agree. And so I think in this case of this game, everyone's going to have to uh, sit down and play it for themselves. And maybe some people will love it. And And because the reviews create a, a social momentum. That's the good thing about reviews is they've created a social momentum. So for me, career-wise, because we did so much art on it, it it's going to be considered good no matter what in any individual. It's, it's past the point of no return, right? It's not going to happen where like people play it and think, oh, but this is actually terrible. You know, it got a 96 Metacritic. It's a successful game. It's going to sell a crap load of copies. But mm-hmm. there certainly might be people that are like, ooh, it was tough to get through or it was too bleak or this and that. But uh, mm. that's what I love about um, Neil. He just like he's he's always kind of wanted to tell the kind of dark stories that he wants to tell. And Bruce too. Don't forget, like the first game was Bruce Straley uh, and Neil Druckmann. Those guys they they co-created that game, uh, yeah. the first one. Um, they they co-wrote the story. They developed all the gameplay. Um, and they um, they kind of made that IP what it is. So I'm really excited to sit down and play this next one. And I'm and I'm really stoked that. Um, the reviews came in, and, and and generally people thought it was good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, in general, when I think you create anything that takes a part of you with you on that journey, that when you put it out there to be judged, you do feel like you yourself are being judged. I mean, I know um, I have watched the original Last of Us documentary that Sony done on. The making of the first game and really got involved in how they because I love watching making of stuff. Um, but then more recently, I watched um Corey and his team in Santa Monica, the making of you know the Raising Kratos documentary about how they basically went through the whole thing of making the new God of War. So you never really I think until you, I think probably most gamers should watch all these documentaries and really see the amount of personality that goes into these whole productions that take four or five years. I mean, it seems like such a small number now, and really in the grand scale it isn't, but five years of your life is a lot of time. You know, you go from 30 to 35, from 35 to 40. So, you know, for some people, it's like a career-defining, a life-defining moment. And I think if there's any negativity injected in that, it can almost tear you down piece by piece as a person.
1: And imagine if you, met, you worked for five years on something that wasn't considered the greatest game ever, or, oh, yeah. or, or failed critically. Imagine yeah. how hard that would be. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I've been lucky to be a Naughty Dog, and they, you know, they, they make great games. But early in my career, uh, I worked on a game. My first game that I worked on uh, was called Neopets, and it was based mm-hmm. on, it was like Pokemon. But it was like these little cartoon character things, and, and right. that game came out. I worked on it for a year and a half, and it didn't sell, and a lot of people got fired. Imagine for all that crunch and for all that work, your reward was getting fired. <laughs> <sighs> I know.
0: Which is a high stakes game. Yeah, I think it's why a lot of people now aim for freelance because, um, I mean, for me personally, when I wanted to, you know, back in 2016, when I was going to my first couple of events and, you know, about to graduate and looking at different things, the game industry always seemed like, you know, when you watch, like, the Halo documentaries I did back in the day or, you know, some of the Double Fine stuff, uh, the guys, Tim Schafer and that, that you looked at games as, like, a, a fun time, something that was really interesting. And then talking on Double Fine specifically, you know, their studio went through so much heartbreak. Oh, my God, it's, I'm surprised Tim isn't, like, five times as his age. But um, you look at how much heartbreak some studios take when, you know, the games get cancelled. And then even at the start of the God of War documentary, you know, the whole, f- I think, first 20 minutes is about how they... Built this team for the sci fi game that was getting made, and then, like, from nowhere, it was just dead, it was gone. Um, and then obviously, the rest of the guys put it into God of War, but then, of course, that dream was dead. Whoever was building that dream, it was gone and never coming back. So, I think for me, the game industry sometimes, and to an extent, the film industry seem like I don't know, do you feel this is a really you? I'm asking this question because you're a hardened professional at this point, but. Do you feel like the games industry has changed significantly or has it always stayed the same? Like, especially for people coming in fresh faced, do you feel like there's a huge reality check that people miss? I think, well,
1: now I think that it's just games cost more. So they cost a lot more and they take a lot more time. So they have uh, less opportunity to take risks. But at the same time, I, and I don't know if this is true because I work mostly in like, you know, big budget AAA space, but I would guess mm-hmm. because of the Apple games, I don't know if you guys, you know, if you've played them, but like on Apple TV, mm-hmm. you can subscribe. And then mm-hmm. you have access to all these cool, fun, a lot of really fun, interesting games. Quite a few I played actually uh, mm-hmm. on my Apple TV using the Apple TV remote. Um, right. but there's phone games, which actually I play more games on my phone, uh, definitely not on the toilet while pooping, but I play <laughs> def- more games on my phone than, uh, than I do on my PlayStation 4. The PlayStation 4, gets the dust gets blown off of it when, when it's time to sit down and, and get through a full-on thing. But uh, right. Apple TV games, I think phone games, is, it's, and also because of the technology, the 3D technology, because of Unreal, because of Unity, mm-hmm. has made making games so much easier that I think there's a lot of space, more space, I would guess, now to make smaller, uh, fun games if you're really about the game play. Yeah. But here's the tricky thing about games. Um, we all know movies are about story. That's the mm-hmm. point. But uh, games—it's kind of clearing up now. But games can be about a few different things, and Mm -hmm. I think 15 years ago, the idea of having a story in games—I remember Mm -hmm. seeing some talks at GDC that said, "Well, that's not what games are." You know, some big name people saying that's not what games are. Games are about gameplay. Well, Mm -hmm. we found out that that's not true. That games can be both. They can have—it doesn't have to be—it doesn't have to be either one or the other. And I remember something Bruce told me. Bruce Straley, the game director at the time, is that um, when they were first coming up with the idea for The Last of Us, because I was there, I was still a Naughty Dog when that idea first came on. Um, and I remember him saying that uh, the zombie genre had been done quite a bit. And there had been Children of Men and World War Z, and and it wasn't like zombie genre was new even then. Like, it was old news even, even 10 years ago it was old news. But he said, if it's new for games, it's new. And... Uh, what they were trying to do is when they were breaking out the story, and this is just them telling me, is they, mm-hmm. they sit in a room and they look at all the beats the same way you would in a movie. And I don't know how familiar your listeners are you are with how a story is traditionally written according to the Robert McKee story structure. has mm-hmm. uh, a book called Story that kind of outlines it. But roughly they were kind of following that idea, which is you have three acts and you have, uh, you have a bunch of cards you put up on the wall of all these mm-hmm. moments that you want. And then you figure out what the arcs of the characters are going to be from beginning to end. They start off this way, and they're going to end up this way. And one of the important aspects of that is the characters and the interactions that they meet along the way are going to be telling different sides of the, st- of the lesson that they're going to learn. So mm-hmm. and in Last of Us 1, um, Joel and Ellie had to, you know, Joel had to learn to care about someone again because no spoilers, but we're going to spoil Last of Us 1. It's too late. You haven't played it. It's been long enough. <laughs> the beginning of Last of Us 1, uh, Joel's daughter dies. So Ellie becomes his sort of makeshift daughter. Well, he's got to learn to love again. He's got to learn to care. And then at the end of the game, he has to realize that um, what's more important, the life of her, the life of one person of, of, that I love, or the life of, of many. Um and there were people that they met along the way, like Sam, if you remember, this was like a couple of characters they met along the way that where their relationship of love was so intense that when it went wrong, one of the characters, you know, killed themselves. So it was like, your point is to try to make all these moments along the way um, help tell the greater story. But that's one aspect of it. That's the writing part. But then what they were also trying to do is to put it on the stick, they used to say. So mm-hmm. put it on the stick mean on the PlayStation joystick. Like how do you make story moments happen while you're playing? So if you're trying to develop a relationship between two characters, you want Ellie to suddenly be useful within the game. Like you're trying to climb somewhere and she says, Oh, I think there's a ladder over here. And then you as a player feel, Oh, thank you, NPC. It's technically an NPC, but you're but you're grateful to the NPC and you start to have that feeling. So they were they were kind of pioneers had been done before, but never so concertedly, never so focused. We're gonna to try to put gameplay and story in together so that gameplay moments match the story. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't be mad at Ellie if the cutscene after is you guys hugging. Right. Um, and then at the same time, they built it using traditional storytelling techniques about how character arcs work and stuff. So I think those two things made the first one they took, and, and they were still, we, you know, we all went too, but they were still going to Robert McKee workshops they were reading storybooks for the first time. When Neil and Bruce started, they were learning story the way anyone would, by looking at books from the guys who were the most famous at it. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then the first one became what it was. But also it has to do with, I think, their particular taste. Because um, I think in video games in general, um, the people who have been making games for a long time, um, we're all like kids, you know, it's, a, it's an industry run by, by kids, by 14 year olds who are really into this. They're like, yeah. And now it's 30 years later and they're in charge. But it's, it was cool to have um, some some fresh thinking come in, like Neil's sensibility for what, it, what makes a good story. Uh, allowed them to have an ending of The Last of Us 1, which I'm going to spoil is mm-hmm. that, you know, Joel at the end decides not to, you know, uh, have Ellie be killed. In order, Mm -hmm. she had the cure in her body, but the only way they were gonna get the cure out was to kill her. He decided not to, and then he lied to her about it. So it ended on this on this bittersweet moment. Well, that's a sensibility taste, really subtle thing that like that artist, those writers, Neil and Bruce, they, they liked that. They decided to go with that. The audience ended up liking it. But that's a rare thing for games to bring that kind of nuance into it. Um, I think part of the reason that's, that was possible, I think part of the reason Last of Us, Last of Us 1 was possible is mm-hmm. structurally the way Naughty Dog was built and because of the history they've had. So they had Crash Bandicoot, right, did great. Mm-hmm. They had Jack and Daxter, did great. I think somewhere around Jack 2, they got bought out by Sony. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was Jason Rubin and um, Andy Gavin. And once they got bought out, uh, Sony was in charge. But Sony let them sort of do their thing like figure out the games they wanted to make. And from within Naughty Dog, Amy Henning came up with, you know, everyone was talking ideas, but she helped come up with the idea of Uncharted, the idea of like an Indiana modern, Indiana Jones. Um, And that game was a hit. And then Uncharted 2 came out and it was a huge hit. And Neil and Bruce had a huge hand in Uncharted 2. That's when they kind of built their sort of storytelling chops along with Amy. But, uh, and then Uncharted 3 was a huge hit. so there was hit after hit of the studio kind of making their own thing. And so when they were looking for a new IP um, and Neil had this one story, one page pitch that he gave to people, and it was really powerful because he had read some books about how to pitch, I'm sure. And he had this one one pager that described these moments. And I remember because he pitched it to me, too. He got us in rooms and pitched it. He pitched it to the president, co-presidents at the time, Evan Wells and Kristoff, and uh, they liked it. Uh, and they liked it enough to try it out. So... A, that's kind of amazing for someone to just work somewhere. Because keep in mind, he just worked there; he wasn't like a high-up person. But he was dedicated. He worked really hard from within the company. You had a company structure that allowed for that sort of thing, which is pretty unusual for someone from just within the company to be like, "I have this idea." You have Sony, who was smart enough and hands-off enough to be like, "Yeah, guys, what you got? What do you What do you think? What do you think?" And you got Evan and Kristoff who knew that maybe this could be something that could potentially make money, too, because they have to be concerned about that. Like, is this game have a market? Can it work? Um, and all, all along the way, they kind of let people who were not necessarily the highest up people um, have a shot. And yeah. that's always been a, a culture thing there. I'm not there anymore, but like I know the culture w- was like that, is that if, if you're good, if you have a good idea, Um, your idea can rise to the the surface if you're good enough. I mean, you have to power through. I'm sure uh, there was a lot of battles going on the whole time, but that's a really awesome feature about that company. Now, I do freelance now for a lot of AAA studios, and that's not how they're all set up. Most AAA studios are run by Daddy Publisher to some degree. Daddy Publisher, here's the idea, decides based on market what what it can do and what it can't do. But uh, not all the not all studios have this sort of so much trust in the storytellers and so much trust in the creators. And part of that reason is because you should trust them. Like like Neil and Bruce at the time, they know a fucking lot. Like I, I I've been by the way, can we swear on this thing?
0: Oh, yeah yeah fuck
1: okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Uh I've been, I've been on the butt end. Bruce and I work together quite a bit now because he's working on his own. Uh, he's, working on, he's working on some cool stuff. But um, um, back when I worked there, I was on the ass end of some like tough feedback, some tough critiques. But I don't think I ever felt like those guys didn't know what they were doing, even when I was a pet, even when I was like, damn it, they're like busting my ass. Um, I never felt like I didn't trust their judgment. And I think that's a general feeling. Now, that also is just a stroke of luck. Partly because Naughty Dog lets good people rise, but also partly because those guys just happen to really know what they're talking about. Now, someone else could not as much, and then the game is going to show it, you know? So just a really lot of things have to align to allow something like The Last of Us 1 to happen. And Uh uh, now it's a little bit more proven. So Last of Us 2, thank goodness, it, it was proven to be a decent awesome game and reviewers liked it and i'm sure the two is going to be awesome too but they've been proving themselves so many times that i don't think they're gonna get checked by anyone yeah. until they make a game that doesn't do well and then and then sony's going to come in and start you know flexing but until right. that happens, they're going to be left to make their own awesome stuff
0: yeah i think it's it's a very intense operation over a couple of years and i think given that level of trust is is hard to get from a high level i mean i know you know here close by is, is edinburgh and in edinburgh and the beaten heart of the city is rockstar north and they guys are responsible for grand theft auto and you know they basically get left to their own devices now because they spent so many years crunching and working really hard and putting out those awesome games and now of course you know whatever they're doing they're doing but you know the, the publishers they work with are, are or the guys who are investors are very happy to just let them do whatever they want to do because they have such a legacy so I can totally understand where Naughty Dog came from because, uh, and side note, by the way, Amy Hennig is one of my uh, all-time, I'm just a fanboy for her work. I mean, back in the day when she was writing uh, Legacy of Cain series with Crystal Dynamics, like that was mm. my, wow, my shit boy. for a, a long time. Oh yeah, like, <laughs> I, I was just, we were talking about story, but like I was going to say, you know, when we play these games or I played these games growing up, I was never thinking about, oh, you know, that jump mechanic was really good and it stayed with me for a long time. Um, no, it was the stories, like Amy's stories and Soul Reaver, like those were the things that I grew up around and um other stories of of that caliber at the, the time when games were just becoming a thing that that was the things that stuck with me and of course the last of us you know i mean phenomenal just i mean even watching troy and and nolan north and stuff play it recently on their, their channel and watching them revisit that first 15 minutes uh was like harrowing because i knew how i felt the first time i watched it i was in tears but um but yeah like seeing them revisit that stuff the stories they do stay with you forever and i think that's almost a good transition into just how pieces of art can stay with you as well because i think Looking back at the first last of us, especially even Uncharted, and you know, even and again, I'm a long time Jack and Daxter fan. I'm still waiting for them to reboot that. Please, God, do. Um, I just saw that as I was sitting watching the Sony review and I saw the Ratchet and Clank new game from Insomniac. I was like, Oh, thank God, because uh, Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter are like some of my two uh, favorite game franchises of all time, next to maybe like The Legend and Zelda, but um, but yeah, so watching all that stuff happen again has been great, but then I think talking about pieces of art that stay with you, I mean, I know some of my first art books were things from uncharted and, and the original last of us and um i was really lucky that i got to meet troy uh who uh, voiced joel at an event and he got to sign my book and when i told him at the time i was trying to be a concept artist he actually sat for a whole extra five minutes and you know there's a queue behind me but he, he flicked through um the pages of the book and he was like i got this sketch really early on from the concept art team and it really gave him and it was a it was a picture like a sketch of Joel and Ellie sitting at a fireside, kind of eating something, and they were like, I think one of them might have been playing guitar. They were laughing between each other. um kind of young,
1: young did that sketch, I think.
0: Yeah, so he was like, he was like really enamoured that I was trying for this, and he's like, yeah, you guys are the real storytellers. You guys really make, you set the tone for the whole thing, and this sketch really gave me so much to work with, and it was really incredible to see his eyes light up when I mentioned concept art because it had such a powerful impact on him as an actor. So. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a little snippet for you there because I met him in an event in Scotland and, and when I said that, he went through the book and was really interested to have this conversation with me. But um, for you as, as an artist, do you think that's why One Pixel Brush was kind of born? Did you feel like storytelling lived in those pictures as well as the game?
1: Well, I always loved concept art from the, from the beginning because it was the one, it was the funnest on paper job because you just get to do the fun stuff. You get to like make the one image and then give it to them and then you don't have to do anything else. So right. in, in some ways, it's kind of the easiest, right? It, it's the most competitive. It's the most sexy. And so it's the hardest in that way. But once yeah. you're once you're doing it, like, for example, deadlines don't, you know, they apply to us. But, you know, it's not like the game is going to ship or not ship because they received the concept art. It's not right. like even when I was at Naughty Dog, I found things to crunch on. Like mm-hmm. I, I was crunching because they had me do skies skyboxes, mm-hmm. you know, do the textures for skyboxes. But inherently, concept art is the beginning of the process. So that's one thing that's that's really awesome about it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, of course, always try to... We we always try to put a character in the shot so that there's some kind of awesome storytelling moment. Even if the character in the shot is just like... I mean, 90% of our images are just like a character with their back to us, back to the mm-hmm. camera, walking into the frame. That's enough. Right. It's just person arrived is the story, or person <laughs> person explores. That's what I mean by story, just like something super simple. So yeah, absolutely the storytelling element is, uh, is fun and important. Mm-hmm. And also I will say you kind of have to fight for it because yeah. there is an element of concept art that is, um, like we did a lot of black and white rough sketches for the 3D artists that just show where the objects are, where mm-hmm. the things are, but it's also fun to do finished pieces, you know? It's fun. It's also expensive, and it's also time-consuming. So the fact that uh, Naughty Dog had the time and the budget to commission, you know, 860, like, relatively finished, maybe, maybe 750 are, like, realistic key art-looking images, and then, like, 100 wow. are black and white. But that's a lot of concept art. Um, that's
0: a lot, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that's a lot of concept art.
1: Yeah, and it was because you know John Sweeney was the art director, and he's a concept artist, so he believed in concept art, and a lot of times we just blue sky different areas. But yeah, it was re- it was always really fun to think about um making the art for things. But I will say this too: the the artists uh, at not at One Pixel Brush are the ones that are that are doing the art. I'm exchanging emails. You know that's right. my, that's my job on this thing. So right. for me. The IP that we're working on, what we're actually doing is less less uh, matters less to me. What I started two years ago was was writing because I got into I, I was kind of inspired by what Neil and Bruce did, and um, Bruce left Naughty Dog, and I pitched him uh, an animated movie idea, and we workshopped I mean, it.
0: You're an animated movie, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: we workshopped it every day. You know, not every day, but we went, we met once a week and we workshopped it and went through mm-hmm. the exact same process that he did with Neil, helping mm-hmm. to shape up this story. Because uh, I wanted to learn too. I thought that's really cool that he did that, and mm-hmm. I almost felt like bad that I hadn't gotten after it sooner. That I was only in right. part. but I had to learn this new craft from zero. And yeah. uh, it was. And now when concept artists are starting out and they're struggling and they're and they're like, "How do I break in?" I feel you because I'm at the bottom of another mountain. You know, right? And it's a really hard thing to say. Okay, I'm I'm king of the hill over here, but I'm going to climb all the way down and I'm going to start back on square one, on a brand new whole thing, assuming yeah. art, assuming writing is an, a whole new art form, which it completely is, and, uh, and just hammer away on it and get ready to take abuse instead of applause. Because, you know, if I, right now, you might, you know, go to a GDC and be like, oh, you're a concept artist, that's great, and I know you and all that. But as mm-hmm. a writer, I'm, I'm nobody, right? I'm zero. But enough people that I pitched it to who were the, who were the closest experts that I could get my hands on which happened mm-hmm. to be Bruce at the time, mm-hmm. uh, gave me great feedback. And I ended up getting to pitch it to DreamWorks, like the, the vice president of DreamWorks. I pitched it to the to the head of uh, heads of illumination development. And I pitched it to the president of development at Netflix. So I got these like insane, huge meetings, having never pitched anything before, partly because I had vetted it through many layers of the best experts I could get my hands on at the time. Um, let someone, and writing is annoying because when you give it to someone, they have to read it. So even though it's a 15 page treatment, you're burdening them. It's, it takes a lot more time than just looking at an art piece of art and saying, yay or nay. But that's the process of climbing kind of from scratch. And people saying, you know, like, I like it, but no, thank you. What else? And I'm like, okay, cool. So I got it. I'm just going to keep powering away on this thing. And so for young artists that are starting out, because I'm kind of back on, back at square one on this other thing, Um, I'll say you kind of have one of the things that really helped me was deciding as I started, I was like, I'm going to do this writing thing, uh, storytelling thing uh, till I'm dead. And that's what's going to happen next. So either I'm going to die and having made something that's cool or I'm going to die having made a bunch of shit that I thought was cool that nobody else saw. Uh, And so there was no option to give up. There was just an option of like, I'm going to use all my spare time for the rest of my time on earth to do this thing. And I think that's a really important attitude for starting concept artists. The number one, two thing I think that uh, that is good to consider is that you have to kind of find some mentors and whoever the best, closest people you can get your hands on that will respond to your emails and respond to mm. your Facebook messages. I sometimes yeah. get, I get a lot of messages a lot, uh, not a ton, but mm. you know, one every couple of days about a portfolio. Sometimes I, I file them away in folders. Um, I get back to very few people, but I'm I'm responding to emails all day for hours doing that. So sometimes I just don't get back to stuff. Uh So, but what I would recommend is you don't want to send something to me. You want to send something to like a one pixel brush artist, right? Right. You You want to send something to the guys. First of all, they know more than me. They're better than me at art and they aren't as getting as much, you know, people sending them stuff. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my philosophy with writing is like, I'm going to talk to writers who work in TV or writers who work in these different fields or any writer that I know. I'm not going to like send my script to Steven Spielberg and I'm not comparing myself to Steven Spielberg, but I'm not yeah. going to send it to him and be like, Hey, what do you think? Cause I'm disrespecting yeah. his time at the moment. Yeah. And I'm not saying people are doing that when they said it to me. I'm just saying, send it to the people who are around you who are the best people, you know, and the experts that are not a big name necessarily, but you love right. their stuff. Yeah. You know? So if you go on art station, Uh, As soon as all this concept art drops, you're going to see a lot of artists' names. I posted uh, a couple days ago about, uh, I listed all the artists who worked on it. And uh, you can look at Google, any one of them, look at their art station, see what they've done. And the ones you think are good, you you should message them and see if they can start a relationship with you, giving you feedback. Another thing I would say is, you should give them. You should only send stuff too that you think is like really pretty good too. That helps mm-hmm. because you send yeah. it after you've already gotten it to the point where you like, where you think it's good. That's the best mm-hmm. time for someone else to say it sucks. Right. You know, if you if you already think that there's lots of problems with a thing, it's harder to get feedback from someone else. It's way easier. I only send things I'm proud of, and then I have it shit on. And <laughs> right. with, by the way, with art too, I send my art all the time to um, Aton, to my girlfriend. I send it to different Bruce. I send different people. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in the early comp days just to see what their thoughts are and they do that
0: right. but then of course you're also in the position where you've already like you've already climbed that mountain and being good at art because you've got a job in Naughty Dog right so you've already got to that point now where you know your art and for however you know because you're obviously doing AD stuff now you're emailing you're working with clients so is that something that you miss doing particularly as being in the field and doing the art side of it as well? Or Yeah,
1: art directing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Uh, it's just more lucrative, so that's capitalism.
0: Right, okay. Talk, so, talk to Sweeney about that one then. What's that? <laughs> talk that to Sweeney to, about that one, how art direction sucks. I'm sure you'll agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, hers is a lot harder.
1: Well, and it's, it's inspiring to help people and it's inspiring to watch them get better, but not that inspiring. It's way more fun to do art. Yeah. I know some people could say, oh, I just, oh God, I just love watching other people. Coaching Coaching is great because I get to watch <laughs> yeah, other people play the game. I yeah. like playing the game. But right. I, spend, I spend a good amount of my day doing art, especially in the past since this year started, I decided right. I'm going to get as good at least as an average one pixel brush artist. I want right. to be good enough to be hired by me, which I'm not right now. <laughs> so, uh, so this beginning of this year, I really dived in and started digging into all the software that I needed to learn. Um, right. And that included Blender. I learned Marvelous Designer. I got Substance Painter and 3D Coat on the horizon here in the next right. month or so. But this yeah. year I put a pause on everything. I was gonna. I have another story that I'm ready to start pitching, and I have all those connections. But I'm like, I want to actually do art. So I'm uh, creating just every day. I'm spending a good amount of time um, getting back into art, and absolutely, that's the most fun. That's the most fun thing. It's way more fun than, than art directing. Um, art directing is nice and that, and that is a little bit of a problem in the, you know, in, in any, in anyone's profession, you get better at a thing that you're really good at, and then mm-hmm. you get promoted. And now your job is to tell other people how to do it, but you kind of, there's a, there's a beauty. I remember at Naughty Dog, there was a guy who, a programmer who got uh, promoted to, um, to put president and he didn't like it and he left. He wanted to be a programmer. So he just, he, right. got, he just stepped down. Yeah. Um so for some people it's not their thing. I remember I I mentioned it to Neil cuz he's a co-president, but I thought he'd like, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking about like do you like are you f- afraid that you're not going to be able to do like the writing and the gameplay and if you become co-president, you know, you're going to have all these other responsibilities and I, I'm not sure that he'd be into that and he's and he was kind of implied that he's tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like no i'm good it's good it's fine I'm
0: ready yeah i mean like, stuff. well especially not though great because i mean when you get to the tippy top like when you're on that level i mean the same with some of the guys i know at sony or blizzard or right you know when you're playing at that level constantly i mean there is just an inherent burnout i think you're gonna experience because games are so intense to make and they obviously they take years to make but over those years you work some of the hardest you've ever worked in your entire life. I mean, I know for some studios they have a whole 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, don't work weekends, don't work overtime, but, um, which I think is more animation uh, than it is games, but with games, you know, people sometimes go flat out for like two solid years and then at the end of it they're like... Oh, I just want to sit down because you're never you're standing up constantly, you know, you're always especially with art directors and people who are running projects, because you're just jumping from one desk to the next or one department and another meeting and a meetings, but and then at one point, all you're getting on is all days, it's just meetings all day, and you don't actually get time to do anything. So um yeah, I think you're right in what you're saying. The art side of it is is a good place to be because then of course you're focusing on your craft, you're no worrying about outside forces. Um, and I think that's also maybe a trap you fell into with one pixel brush where um it's great that you get to hone in this skill on these guys who are working on these amazing projects now, but again you're at the epicenter of it where you're answering emails and going back and forth for clients and speaking to people and giving direction. Um so is that I mean, well, I don't know how I'll much see, you know, Yeah, I'll yeah. say that
1: like a Naughty Dog working there and finishing a mm-hmm. game is like storming the beach at D Day. You know? <laughs> like you're you're just watching people like scoop their own intestines back into their body. It's just <laughs> it's hell on earth. Well, we do, and I made this analogy before, we're just like black ops, Navy SEALs that get called in, drop in a helicopter, <laughs> clear a building, and then we leave. And I love that. I love it because it's cool. I love yeah. it because it's not as much commitment. I love it because right. we're si- I'm sitting in a base running comms with my headset on. And, right. and it's uh, now the the caveat is those black ops guys have to be the best ever. Right. right? They can't be normal soldiers. They have to be like super soldiers. So the, right. the challenge in my, in my world is to find these like incredible people or find artists that are very good, but like, how do you, what is the coaching they need to get them to like black off SEAL Team 6? But our job is, is a little bit removed from the, from the hell. And so uh, someone like Aton, who, um, you know, has been an artist there for a long time, he could easily be an art director too, but right. he, didn't doesn't want to you know he didn't want to like be like punished um r- dealing with personalities dealing with stuff john sweeney is like unbelievably good at um just working with him is so easy he's humble he's mm-hmm. calm um mm-hmm. again i'm seeing him from just like general talking to general so i'm not there like for the day-to-day i'm not on the beach so i'm right. not seeing the the shrapnel fly but he just in general he just is uh and he's good with people. He's not easily flustered. Um, right. He's a chill dude. He's like incredibly good for that job, just from a personality perspective. So it's tough. And, and he misses his art, too. I mean, he's doing art right now ever since the game slowed down in terms of like, you know, got close to shipping. He's been seriously working on his own projects. He just posted an amazing uh, painting that he oh, did. Yeah. And, so good. Uh, yeah. And, and he's really excited about his own thing, too. He didn't get to do a lot, a ton of art for Last of Us just because... He was managing people, but the money is probably pretty good. So yeah. it's like a trade off. You're like, uh, what do I want? Do I want some more monies? And I think one mm-hmm. picture brush is a good balance for me because I like um, running the running the studio is good. But but what I like more than than um, you know, I'm not making a huge amount, but like I'm doing okay. Is that mm-hmm. um, I have freedom now. So if yeah. my girlfriend and I wanted to go to Hawaii and mm-hmm. work from there, uh, I don't have to ask for days off. Uh, right, and, and by the way, the, the contractors, the the artists that I work with are the same. I right. had an artist last week being like, "I'm going to go for a couple of weeks," and I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll just figure it out." <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, because you know things just opened up." And I know I said I was going to be gone for a few days, but I, I kind of want to go like for like a couple of weeks. So I'm like, "Well, yeah, you you can do whatever you want. You're, you know you're all they're all contractors. A lot of them, most of them." So, yeah. uh, but also, and as, as a little bit of like, oh, damn it, I wish I, I had this, I took this job because I expected this one particular artist to be around to work on it. Mm-hmm. So now That's they're great. not, so now they're not. So there's a easy instinct that I could have. And I think a lot of managers and art direct probably could have and people that mm-hmm. work in companies where I should be like, well, you're not down for the company cause. Like you really should stick around. And if you really cared about this project or if you really believed in this, you would mm-hmm. be here for this. But I just don't believe that. These are just, these are just fucking jobs. Like, yeah. it's cool we like them, but at the end of the day, you have to live your life. And so I fundamentally believe that, which is why I kind of started this company. And I kind of believe that for artists. So if an artist says, I need to be gone for two months to figure out my, what, what my art should be and how I want to grow as an artist, I'm like, well, of course I get it. I'm, I'm annoyed a little bit mm-hmm. because now I have to <laughs> hire someone new or fill in the shoes or do some, I have, they're making me do more work. So that's why I'm doing right. But it's yeah. really like awesome that they're, that everyone feels free to do that because this whole concept of I'm at a company and I have to stay there and then I die and I have a stack of discs to show for It's yeah. perfectly fine for some people, but I just, when I left Naughty Dog, that was kind of the thing. I, I had this meeting with the presidents and they were like, why are you leaving? And I said, no reason. I don't want to come in anymore. And they were like, well, you're gonna go somewhere for sure. You're gonna take another job. Where are you going? Are you sure you got an offer or something? I'm like, I, I guarantee you, you will never hear of me taking another job. The only place <laughs> I'll ever come back to is Naughty Dog. Because I've seen yeah. I worked at I worked freelance for a lot of studios and I can and I can tell you, Naughty Dog is one of my favorite. I like the artists there, I like the attitude, I like the mentality, I like the kind of games they make. I was like, You won't you won't hear of it. I did an interview at LucasArts and they said, See, you did an interview at LucasArts. I'm like, that was just an interview. I wasn't gonna go to yeah. LucasArts uh to oh, yeah. work, work in another uh working an office somewhere so yeah i think yeah. maybe covid too has done a little bit to make people appreciate the fact that we don't all have to be you know in the room uh yeah. on this same schedule trapped like so what you want to take two months off and not make, get paid who needs the extra money what are you making the money for to buy a slightly yeah. nicer car just buy a $15,000 car instead of a $30,000 car and use that $15,000 to just take two months off of a year what you the clock is
0: ticking and we're all going to die
1: like what are you doing
0: yeah i mean definitely yeah i mean like it's a it's a bleak outlook but yeah no, no i mean i i feel like that's what disillusioned me with the, the i mean when i left my job at 28 as an engineer to go back and be an artist um because it was like chasing my dream um i thought it would be you no know, impossible or no relatively difficult but you know i probably could get a job on the left but then the fact that i've left and you know the end of 2018 and graduated and i'm still you know i'm doing bits here and there but yeah it's a it's a very difficult industry to to land on because i feel like when you go in as a studio as even a junior now like you have to hit the ground not just running but like sprinting the same speed as everybody else um and if you fall down like of course people will try to pick you up but then there's very little room for that uh you know, you talked about mentors earlier on. You know, you, bit, that's something I felt. When I, when I was an engineer, for example, when I first started my job, we had on-site job training. Like, we we were just given the job. We, we weren't engineers when we were picked. We were just given a job because they needed people to be engineers. And then throughout my time there, people trained me to be an engineer. They taught me, you press this button to do this thing or this is what... And then you learned and then you became an engineer. But with uh, games, I feel like there is no room for that at all. You know, even with mentors, you can obviously get feedback and stuff, but you could never walk into a job as a games artist not knowing how to paint, right? That would just never be done. So that's the difference I feel in this industry versus the place I came from. Is that your experience in the, in the studios, especially when you were starting out? Is that Yeah, that same it's, thing? It's getting,
1: it gets harder and harder and easier and easier in some other ways. The ways it gets harder is that none of the artists that started working on last, even we did a concept test, like I had left obviously Naughty Dog and then, and then mm-hmm. three years later they hired us back. Right. Uh, As as they hired my team. But that's, if you think about it, that's pretty silly because all the people who work there know me as just some guy who used to work there. So, so for, you know, imagine if you left your engineering job and then like two weeks later, we're like, hey, I have a bunch of engineers here that you could hire, but you have to go through me. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You know, it'd be pretty stupid. Uh, yeah so it took a little while for them to say, Oh, okay, well you've developed a team and maybe they're good and we'll give you a test. And then we did a bunch of concepts for them, like eight right. to try it out. But we're competing against the best. You got you got Robbie Johnson there and Aton and and um yeah, and all these amazing artists. And mm-hmm. so we did this bunch of concepts and they were I thought they were very good, and they thought they were very good, and they hired us and they well they and I didn't know how many, it could have been 20 images, it could have been 30, ended up being eight hundred shockingly. But those images that we first delivered, I don't think any of those made the art book. And I don't think any of those artists would have quite been hired at not at one pixel brush right now. Like if you showed me any of those first images just from four years ago, I'm not sure they would have barely maybe not quite, I would have had a lot of feedback. They would have barely not made the cut for today. So yeah, it's changing constantly. The industry is moving so fast, but I will say this, a lot of the ways that it's changing have gotten a little bit easier in that. Yes, it's a pain in the ass to learn Blender, inside and out. It's a pain. It's a pain in the ass for sure. But once you have that tool, once you're kind of a f- fluent in 3D, uh, uh-huh. you have like an 80% block sort of of what you're of how of how to do things, kind of out of the way. The only thing I will add is that yeah, there is a fundamental artistry that is besides the learning of 3D, because a lot of our concepts are done in 3D now. Um, there's a fundamental artistry in like how to arrange compositions and where to leave rest and where to put texture and where to remove texture. And that's of course a more nuanced art thing. And it's a harder thing to teach, but actually I am coming out with uh, a bunch of short YouTube videos that are going, that where I interviewed my own artists that I work with and asked them how they did specific pieces for the last of us too. And they're not going to be deep dives into how to learn blender. You know, you're going to have to learn blender on your own or, lean what you can from the video, but they're just going to be me literally asking questions I don't know the answer to. Like, right. how the hell did you do that IV? And they're like, oh, there's a program called IV Generator. Look, what are you talking about? Yeah, there's a standalone program that's free that's called IV Generator, and it creates procedural IV. And that's how I did this IV. And they're like, well, how did you do that IV? And they're like, oh, that's a photo of IV. And you're like, what? And then the whole image looks exactly like it was all you know done in the same, with the same technique. Right. these little videos that we're going to start releasing uh, really soon uh, and as it mm-hmm. comes out, I think they're going to be these little story kind of vignettes where I just sit down with an artist and we just get into it uh, for like 20 minutes to 30 minutes on a single image and I think that's going to be really eye-opening for people in terms of what the process is uh, and what the process is like in modern times
0: yeah, because yeah, there's not a lot of I mean I say there's not a lot of there's probably is. I mean like just speaking I just actually bought a course from Jan Urschel the other day about you know some of his stuff he does in Blender and I know you know um, Yama a couple of those guys have done stuff so it is more commonplace now for Blender to be used for concepting but I think that's also something because it's relatively because Blender itself the tool we use now is relatively new in the sense that you know 2.7 whatever was the the life-changing version that came out only came out maybe like a year ago or something so for a lot of people they are still like catching up at the back of it and trying to figure out all the little buttons and what they do so um it's great i feel for like a lot of pre-comp shots and stuff for concept. but um like you said that stuff doesn't overly replace or just automatically make your stuff good you still need a fundamental foundation and art that tells you how pictures should be like you said composition areas of rest all that kind of stuff so I think what it does is it allows production artists already to already have those essential basics down to then make their workflow, their pipeline exponentially quicker. So rather than having a perspective light, that's all done for you.
1: Yes, and there's a, there's also a double risk that happens when you're using 3D is the 3D looks so realized that uh, it slows down your creative thinking. Like the the tool affects your, uh, your art in such a dramatic way. And I remember back when we were doing outdoor painting, we were using... Um, you know, brushes in Photoshop. And sometimes when you would paint outdoors, you would, by default, your battery, when it was unplugged, would be in low power mode. Now, when it's in low power mode, a subtle thing you don't know is that the processor is using a little bit less juice because the CPU takes quite a bit of, it uses quite a bit of battery to run full power. Right. The processor was using less juice in low power mode, you're painting outside, you make a stroke in Photoshop with a brush and it takes a second to update. Just a one second. Now, you cannot fucking paint at all because when the juice, the, the amorphous word that we've talked about, it's just like how to sell. when the juice is coming out of you, it cannot come out of you if you have to wait a second after every breaststroke. What happens is you make a breaststroke and then you make another one and nothing happens, you get frustrated. You make another one and if it doesn't happen, you get frustrated. You make a third one, it happens. But now you forgot you lost your rhythm. It's like a dance right. where you can only do one step at a time. You can't dance. You can take steps, but you can't dance. And so 3D tends to do that to people because it's much slower than a brush stroke. So if you're not fluent in it, if you put a bunch of cubes around, if your graphics card is slow, that will ruin your life. Like if you have a too slow computer with a too slow graphics card and it's not updating fast enough, you can easily get bogged down. And now instead of just kind of trying a bunch of different compositions, you're like building this house of cards that you're very, don't want to mess up. And whatever you kind of have is what you decide you like instead of like trying a bunch of things. And so the huge, huge mental chasm to cross when you're using 3D is get a render that kind of is there, take it into Photoshop and just break that mother. Just fucking draw on top, change shapes, have freedom on one layer, have that freedom to work on top of that 3D because the 3D can be suffocating. Uh, because right. it's like the brush thing, it just, it's too slow. And even within Blender, because it has two renderers, it has the EV, which is very fast updating, but doesn't look quite as good, and the Cycles, which is really slow. Sometimes you're working in EV because you want to keep that flow and that rhythm. You want to keep moving fast. You want to move the camera. You don't, you don't want to slow down. But then you kind of want to have a peek at what it looks like in Cycles. So you click on Cycles, and you have a little peek. And you're like, oh, but what if I had this one little thing? You had one little thing, and then you rotate, and you're like, oh, cool. But it takes 10 seconds for it to refresh. And now you kind of stay in cycles because you really enjoy seeing it, the render look a little bit better. And you, and you realize that an hour and 20 minutes later, you haven't done shit. All you've done is like move a few things around because you completely lost your mojo. So that's, I think, the danger of 3D. If, you are, if you're very aware of that, um, yeah. the 3D can guess, get you, but they immediately switch brain modes to be like juicing, fast, fast, and then switch back to slow, 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 switch back to fast, fast, fast. That's the thing that makes a great uh, concept artist uh, in the modern time, because those tools are such a different part of your brain, and they need to be combined and alternated between much more quickly.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Like the tools now are just so exponentially, and I think Blender, I think that also was a game changer more because it was free, right? It was, it's absolutely one hundred percent does cost absolutely fucking nothing. So it's almost like in, you know, insubordinate or like irresponsible of you not to learn it because you know this free piece of software that does all these amazing things yeah. is sitting in front of you. Yeah.
1: yeah, and there's add-ons for Blender. Everyone knows that you can. They're add-ons. They're basically little mini programs that people make that work within Blender. And so, yeah. like one of them is f- called Physical Starlight, and it's just a sun program. Now, there's a sun, there's a sun in the thing, but it's really nice to just move a few sliders around and do the elevation and the azimuth, and, and and just get like have a quick sun in there. If you need a better sun that you need to work on, you can do something else. But there's Asset Sketcher. There's one called Botanique that does like ready-made trees. There's one mm-hmm. called Scatter that has like incredible grass, and you will find, I mean, you people are going to be shocked when you start seeing some of the Last of Us concepts. You see this photo real image and you're like, how the hell did this happen? Well, yeah, the guy is a master. Sure. Uh And he found this perfect photo of mud incredibly and integrated it perfectly because he's got an incredible eye for light. And then all the trees are completely from a program, you know? And you're like, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. What? It's, it's, it's amazing that, the that, yeah, it's a huge amount of cheating, but then there's like 10 other places where only a master could kind of tune it perfectly. So it's, and and, and here's the tricky part too, is the people that are masters of art don't want to cheat. They want to do it the traditional way. So to have that combination of human being that has incredible skill, but has no problem at all having their skills be completely obsolete at any moment, as soon as a new thing happens that is better than their skills, they're like, no one needs that skill. Fuck that skill. Trees from (laughs) from an auto-generated tree thing, fucking done now the trees are now I don't do trees anymore I could do but I learned them I drew a lot of trees I could perfectly design trees but fuck it I'm going to focus my energy on just the areas where I need to that's the mark of like a modern badass what I would call SEAL Team 6 concept artist
0: yeah and I definitely think that that's worldly exclusively sometimes to the AAA space to especially realistic games so stuff like Last of Us but then if you're doing super stylized stuff or you're working on like a cartoon or animation then of course traditional skills and some part will play more of an emphasis in those things so yeah i think it just depends on per project because you also do stylized stuff right you also do stuff for animations
1: oh absolutely and actually that's what i love the most um yeah mainly because i need to find my own lane because how am i going to compete with those last of us hours? i'm not I'm gonna <laughs> kill myself
0: yeah i got an image because i got a mischief painter just because you mentioned it one time The which one was it mischief? The you know the one you can kind of infinite has the infinite canvas, the painter program.
1: Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah Is that they, you use it anymore?
1: Or? Well, they, yeah, with with animation stylized stuff. Um, again, we're trying to like ruin. We're trying to ruin art by trying to find three D ways to ruin art, and, that, and 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 in the in the animation space, it's no different. And we've found a lot of good ways to ruin art, like the, the, right. the, the, the cartoony stylized drawing style artists that know how to draw, like draw really well, draw, draw. That is a very difficult skill, and it's probably the hardest and most rarefied skill to get someone who's really good because right. it's much easier to get a, a couple items in Blender, put a nice render on, and it's going to look pleasing to the eyeballs. But a drawing, if it's a little bit off, doesn't look good. If it's not well-constructed, doesn't look good. And you need knowledge of shape and form, and you need a lot of experience drawing. So absolutely... Line drawing design of characters. We have a couple of artists that are really good at that. That's a really difficult thing. Whereas like on Last of Us work, if, if there was a guy who was gone or he didn't finish the image, I could give it to someone else and they could finish it. Right. The line drawing of characters is still uh, probably the most traditional skill that we have that is really hard to find. But I will say uh, past f- cell shading, like you have, the, you know, let's say you have that cartoony character and you do like a flat color sort of cell shading look. As soon as you're going to render it past that point, in my opinion, we go to ZBrush uh, because it's so easy. In fact, for the, for the new IP I'm working on now, I kind of created a pipeline that I decided I want. And that's the great thing about me learning the technology is that I learned a couple of the technology things. And I'm like, no one's ever done this. Let me see if I can do it, which was to take uh-huh. a model from Daz, D-A-Z, uh-huh. which is a ready-made program that has ready-made posed characters. And you can uh-huh. pose them however you want. Or you can export them into Blender and they still have a skeleton and a rig, so you can still pose them however you want. Um, and in Daz, there was a couple sliders and there was a couple packs you could buy that were like stylization packs. And they were not very good. There's one called Morpheus and it was okay, but you could start to stylize the character a little bit, but it was, again, it was based on a drawing because the drawing is me. I drew the drawing, but you needed to have a drawing to know where you were even going. Stylized it a little bit in Daz, took it into Blender, And then sculpted it in Blender, which meant, shit, now i got to learn the sculpting tools. And I need a little Blender. And and, uh, I need to know how skeletons work. And I need to be able to move the rig around. So talking about, like, weeks, months, maybe, of, like, dealing with bullshit. Figuring out what the right process to export it. When you export it, some things don't come through properly. It's it's just a mess. A lot of technical bullshit. But at the end, my goal was to say, can I have uh, my own character designs in 3D, fully rigged, pretty good so that I could pose them and create story frames so that I didn't have to redraw the character and I could have them very well realized in 3d and I figured it out and so now that's what I'm kind of doing but it took like two months of just bullshit when the character is done by the way being sculpted it goes into marvelous designer which is a program for designing clothes and Uh you can cut out the seams of the shirt the pattern as if you're a seamstress Put it on the character and then do a simulation and it drops onto the character. And it's like, is that even necessary or can you do it in Blender or should you do it in Marvelous? And then Marvelous isn't good with very hard surface things. So if there's a belt buckle or something, you got to go back into Blender and do that. Or maybe you can do that in Photoshop. So like figuring out between these four programs, what is the fastest way for each one of those things to help? Just so I can do the simple thing of creating quick story frames required a not very quick process of months of learning a bunch of scripts stuff. Now there's no way I would have done that if I didn't uh, if I wasn't around people all the time that are doing all this stuff because it's such an expensive time to it would much much easier just be like, why don't you just draw it? Okay, let's just draw it. Um, but but that's how kind of concept art is is you got these few outliers. And I'm not normally an outlier. Normally I'm just following someone in footsteps. But you got people climbing this Mount Everest, right? And they're going mm-hmm. higher and higher and sometimes they don't go the right way. So they have to come back down and go another way. And then Uh once they figure out the right way to go, then I just follow where they went. I'm Uh rarely on the front line because they're spending five times as much time figuring out the right way up. Now on this one thing about creating story frame characters, I did do all the exploring myself. But Uh really good artists, they're kind of always doing that. They're spending their time constantly trying new things new software new stuff new techniques is it ivy gen the blender come out with an ivy gen is there a new ivy gen is this is new ivy gen add-on that existed there's four ways to do ivy well it's kind of tempting to be like we'll just use a photo why am i doing yeah. work uh yeah. but that that hunger for the whatever the newest thing is 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 kind of like the the way things are now
0: yeah i think it's a way where things even traditionally if you were just say an oil painter or a canvas painter, once you had your paints that you liked, maybe it was oils or acrylics or whatever you were using, and you had the brushes, you had the canvases you like, you know, even though you were maybe trying to build that core skill of how to paint people, how to draw things, you weren't really, like, you know, wondering about the next new technology or something else that's came out. Um, and then, yeah, like, th- there's guys I know who just, like, will religiously stick to pen and paper, to ink and drawing. Or depending on your craft, obviously that can be relevant because, you know, a lot of comic artists, maybe some will pose in 3D, some will and some guys. But even, like, you know, people like, I admire, like uh, T.B. Choi, who I met at Lightbox, like, her character development skills are incredible, but she's a very traditional type of person where like her entire world is pen and paper chalk and board or just working in photoshop for digital stuff and um i just
1: i just uh, facebooked her just so i could see oh yeah those are awesome that's beautiful
0: yeah yeah oh choice yeah i mean from south korea was a, an atme teacher across there and now i think she's in la working i think she does a lot of stuff now for riot for character skins for character development yeah. um but one of the best in the world and yeah like her skills were completely honed on sitting in front of a book or stacks of paper five, six, seven hours a day, like Kim Jong-ji as well, and just honed that skill completely 100% until it was almost perfection. So, yeah, yeah I think... And the, you know, the, that's, that's yeah. the one
1: area that's interesting that you bring her up because I'm looking at her art. It's amazing. Um, yeah. That is the one area in which a lot of this doesn't apply. If, right, you're, yeah. if you're doing that like Riot, if you're doing that, that specifically that Riot Games style, uh, mm-hmm. hand painted figure look that is almost entirely like exactly like you said all traditional skills and yeah. if your goal is to to be like her and work at riot then yeah. that's the only that's one of the few lanes which i would say not sure blender applies as much i'm not sure marvelous is necessary maybe it right. is but those artists yeah. um they tend to have this hand-drawn look for everything and that's what makes them so cool so for those people oh she's got some really stylized stuff that's amazing too
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. She's one of a kind. She's, I mean, like, she was at Lightbox uh, displaying at that time. She had a booth. She was selling stuff like her books and stuff. But I cornered onto her early on through streaming because she was on Twitch so much doing. Originally, what she was doing was teaching life drawing online because she'd done it within South Korea. But then she wanted to go online and reach other people. But then eventually, of course, because her stuff was so good, um, you know, guys from LA were contacting her. They were trying to get her over. They were you know, doing workshops with her. She would go to Blizzard and teach for a day or, you know, come up to like uh, brainstorm and teach as well. And then with the more and more she got popular, just the offers started coming. And now I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100%, but I'm sure she's just moved to Los Angeles um, because I think she did get some kind of work offer from Riot and now she's doing other things. But yeah, she's one of the people that is like you said, like the outliers who are just so good at the craft that, People are just, and she only, you know, I mean, she can definitely draw backgrounds and stuff, but like most of her work on ArtStation, especially if you explore it, is just characters in white backgrounds. But her characters are so well-developed and she has such an understanding for characters that like, yes. it's almost like like the specialist versus the generalization thing is what I'm kind of getting into.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you follow what your thing is that you really like. And I think in this case, if you really like, and I think when I was starting out um, a little bit in my career, if I had seen stuff and there were people that did stuff that's the kind of the style that was kind of more my jam that was more my jam yeah
0: because you uh, thought you're going to work in jack and daxter right
1: exactly that was totally my thing it was more that than working on something realistic a lot of these right. techniques were born out of necessity to make mm-hmm. the game look more and more realistic um yeah. that's not necessarily uh the best way you know the, the good way to do it you might want to like have it look all really hand painterly i personally I enjoy stylized shapes. I love that. But I love seeing um, a finish that has some real materials. I like seeing the different materials. I like telling that the fabric's fabric. And mm-hmm. even if it's a stylized way of making that material, I like seeing all the different materials um, in the actual thing. Like, kind yeah. of how how movies are, but Spider-Verse did a really good job of it. Or the most incredible example is The mm-hmm. Witness, that um, incredible short that Alberto Mieglo made for uh, oh, robots, yeah, yeah. where it was, I think that's, and Klaus as well. I think those two, uh, The Witness, um, Klaus, the movie on Netflix that was made by uh, by those guys at Spa, uh, Sergio Pablo, and, uh, and um, the Spider-Verse movie, those are perfectly three fantastic examples of the art style really making it all the way through to the final thing. Uh, yes. Now, they, they use quite a bit of figuring it out with technology, but I'm really excited about style. Uh, mm-hmm. if it's going to make it to the final thing. So as concept artists, we've gotten calls a few times to be like, can you give us some concept art of this character? And, uh, and I say, yeah, well, it's going to it's going to look like the for example, let's say they ask for a Navy SEAL. I'd be like, well, right. it's going to look exactly like a Navy, you know, it's going to look photographic like a Navy SEAL. And I've mm-hmm. gotten a few times requests, Well, can you make it look like concept art so that we can look at it as concept art? And that's a tough one because I'm kind of like, no, no, no. We can make it look like the thing. So whatever you decide the final thing is, concept art is at a state right now where we can pretty quickly make it look like however the final thing is. So for TP, for her stuff, the game, right? The games look kind of like that, right? Their textures are hand-painted. So that's a perfect style for that. I yes. kind of am of the mind that now in concept art, there's so many shortcuts, so many tricks, just make it look like the final thing, if you can, and use whatever technology you can. So if you want it to look like a Pixar movie, it's mm-hmm. not that hard to make concept art look like a Pixar movie. And then yes. we can decide at that level, once, because that's the point of concept art. What's it literally exactly going to fucking look like? So let's yeah. do that. There's still a little bit of mythology around concept art, that they, mm-hmm. that their sketches, we need to see a bunch of loose stuff, and then we'll refine it. Well, if someone wanted... Uh, a, a, a really good gray square would you draw it and shade it or would you just take a screen grab of the of the gray square that shows up in blender like you want a gray square right and it's going to be in 3d at the end okay yeah well i have your solution right now it took one second no we want to see some sketches of the square first and we want to see it shaded okay is the final thing going to be a shaded sketch square because in that case that makes sense no it's going to be 3d okay well then just look at the fucking 3d square and it's, it's color okay <laughs> There's no reason to draw it if the, if the technology can make it instantly look how it's supposed to look. Now, if you want to be a, a visionary and say, no, uh-huh. we want our game to have a unique look, well, then be a goddamn visionary. Like, yeah. like, pick an art style from the art from the shelf, whatever one you like, because there's plenty that exists. Pick yeah. one. Because it's also like a little bit of mythology of like, we're going to do a bunch of concept art and we're going to find the style. No, you're not. You just, there's enough stuff. Just pick a style that you think is good. Or pick a style that's 99% of the way there. Or say, listen, that, that that's kind of a mythology, I think, sometimes in people's minds, that the thing we're doing has never been done ever. There's no style on earth that's even close. We're going to find it by doing concept art. No, we're just going to spend your money. So yeah. if you were to just find the thing that you want it to be most close to, and you actually have a vision of how you want it to be slightly different than that, or you have a completely unique style that you have in your mind... Um, Say what that is. It's rare that there's a completely unique style on Earth. But like, okay, let's say there is one, like Alberto Migalos. Then find that one thing and then go for that exact mark. I think that's much more realistic than hoping that through a lot of different iteration and doodles, you're going to find a style. Because a style is a very known quantity. And a lot of styles exist. And you can kind of point to the North Star and just move towards it. And that's what we found. It's so much more efficient.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean like yeah, like you say, there's there's almost two trailings or two schools of thought that yeah, the, the stylized stuff or the stuff Choi's doing is, is unique because then yeah, if you're drawing stuff, then you are drawing stuff, but then the, the last of us stuff, because you want it to look almost like a finished game cell or something that would be an engine, you have to push the technology because you want that stuff to look like it belongs in the game. So yeah, I think there's definitely paths you can take up the mountain as you once said with the, the you know the increase in awesomeness. but yeah like i think you have to probably decide early on which one you're going to follow because one in essence both are hard to accomplish but they definitely have different focuses altogether, right
1: yes and also i will say that uh that alex uh neonakis she's she does a lot of art for last of us too she designed characters and she does them hand-drawn like this and so did uh um so did some of the other artists there they they did a lot of They did a lot of art that looks a lot like her art, hand-drawn stuff that kind of, like you were talking about that drawing of Joel and Ellie where they're laughing by the campfire. Right. A beautiful drawing that had a beautiful feel uh, that gave a mood. But you can see that that is a little bit tenuous to even say that that's concept art because it wasn't for production or anyone to do a thing. It was just to be inspired by and you're saying the actor was inspired by it because also people love looking at drawings it feels tactile it feels hand-drawn and they understand how it was made so looking at that ellie joel drawing gave people an emotional response it wasn't like information for the modelers how to model joel's shirt it was here's a feeling that we can keep in our mind when we think about these characters so it kind of also depends a little bit on like why are you doing and we don't, we don't get hired as often for that. We get hired more and be like, what does this damn thing look like? So, But I think there's definitely room for that sort of beautiful art for art's sake to give a feeling.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I mean, I feel like that's exactly what you're, you're trying to get across is that those things aren't built for production. It's more just like, and I think for Troy, that's probably was the first time he actually saw what Joe was going to look like realistically, like what he was going to be head to, head to toe be wearing, how he was going to be interacting with Ellie. And uh, I think that, Was a conversation starter, right? That's what a lot of concept art is usually a good thing for—is starting that conversation of, well, what do these buildings really look like? How does that thing in the distance work? Are they going to be using that? So, yeah, I think that's almost the job, right? It's not just storytelling; it's starting a conversation for design, um, concept design, even, and how things are fleshed out in the game.
1: Totally, and I think if you're in house and there's a little bit of room where we don't know what the game is yet, there's—it's a perfect time to have those kinds of conversation starters. We get hired to end conversations. Uh, right more than more than start them where we get hired to like say we don't know what this should be we're going to pay you to like tell us what it you know tell us what you think it should be in the end Um, but yes there's absolutely some room for that and i would love to get um hired to do more you know figuring stuff out like that that's a lot of fun
0: yeah definitely on the pre-production side i think there's a lot of stuff that goes on internally before they probably reach out to you and we're like right now this is your right they're not going to be like hey we have a bunch of
1: money we want to spend and we don't know what we want so we're just going to give you this money and you try stuff and it doesn't matter what. But but if you're in-house at a studio and they're like, hey, we have two weeks and we really don't know what we're going to do next. How about try this because you're already on payroll? Right. That's yeah. different, you know. Makes it's a lot of sense. unlikely that we're going to get freedom like that because why would they call us to give us money when they don't know what they want?
0: yeah of course yeah well i think that's a great note to end on uh shadi i think we've covered a lot of bases in this talk today um and i definitely feel like i'm more educated than i hope my, my viewers and listeners are i hope you guys really enjoyed it um thank you for coming on and talking to us it was an absolute honor to have you and, and to listen to your your thoughts in the industry it was definitely more enthusiastic and more uh over the top than i thought it was going to be but i love every minute of it every minute that a lot, man. i appreciate
1: it. this was a lot of fun yeah.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, if you guys have any questions for Shadi, um, just leave them down below as per. Uh, I'm going to leave all his details below as well for One Pixel Brush and for Shadi himself. If you have any questions, you can reach out. Um, and of course, Last of Us Two will be uh, hitting, uh, you know, landing on PS4 in a couple of days. I think at this point, it is only a couple of days away. And Friday,
1: yes, Friday, and I think Thursday night at some time. Maybe you can even download it if you already have it pre-downloaded and purchased
0: the midnight launch yes so yeah definitely if you guys uh, enjoy the game i want to give some feedback well maybe no feedback about the game but yeah <laughs> if you enjoyed it and you're an artist and you want to maybe talk about the art then of course
1: Art book, art book is on amazon right now you can order that book i think it starts shipping on the 23rd and all right. the one pixel brush artists uh it says their name and it says at opb so you'll right. be able to see in the book uh which which artists that i worked with worked on that game and there's a lot of their art in that art book so
0: yeah i mean i saw even there's a i think there's a limited edition version of the book as well that has like some prints and stuff in it so i definitely i'm going to be yeah the $80 one the $27 one i
1: think so the $80 one limited edition and then the $27 one i think i think it's similar it has all the same art maybe so you know uh, hopefully
0: cheaper out there so um but yeah if you guys have any questions or anything you want to ask below just make sure you check out on youtube this is usually where we're most active um of course you'll find us on different podcast services and spotify stuff like that um, and yeah again thanks to Shady for coming on thanks to you guys for listening um, stay tuned for more episodes coming up as we go on there's a lot lot happening um, and then yeah we'll just speak to you guys later thanks for tuning in and uh, see you guys later Bye.